district in 1999. We spoke with Fletcher by phone recently to find out how the district is doing during the pandemic and what we can expect to see in the future. All right, so we're here with uh, Fletcher McCusker of the Rio Nuevo Board. And um, Fletcher, you've, uh, you've probably done more than one interview about Rio Nuevo, my guess is, over the last few years. Uh, but is there a, uh, a concise statement that kind of explains what, what the Rio Nuevo district actually is? We're a tax increment financing district uh, nicknamed a TIF. Uh, Arizona only has one of those, primarily because Rio Nuevo was so controversial its first 10 years. The, the district was formed in 99 and run by the city of Tucson um, from 99 to 09. And you'll probably remember a very famous headline in the star, uh, Rio Nuevo spent $230 million and has nothing to show for. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was the first 10 year history and TIF uh, became a four letter word. Uh, the state said, we'll never do another one. This is corrupt, uh, just a total waste of money. Um, so there's never been another one. Um, the last 10 years, we've regained some of that credibility. But uh, uh, the increment financing thesis is that you spend tax dollars to invest in things that create new tax dollars. And some states, like Atlanta, has 12 tips. Uh, California has used these extensively. This was the only experiment in Arizona. Well, and, I, and so, so you, Rio Nuevo has a footprint, fairly sizable footprint, and and you collect a portion of the sales tax that's generated from basically was it downtown to Park Mall? Exactly. Yeah, it's a dog bone that was gerrymandered to pick up a lot of retail sales tax because this is a state tax tiff. Some of them are property tax, some of them are other kinds of taxes, but this is a sales tax TIF. So the mandate was to renovate downtown and the far west side, but they drew a dog bone from basically A Mountain all the way down Broadway to capture Park Place Mall. So all of those stores, we get 50% of the sales tax created by any of those stores downtown and along Broadway. And, and the original, the original district, it was a voter approved, right? It wasn't just. It had to be voter approved. It was, it was a hugely successful referendum, Proposition 400 in 1999, and it promised all sorts of fantasticable things on the west side: an aquarium, uh, an arena, an IMAX theater, a hotel, a museum, a science museum. Uh, et cetera, et cetera. And there was a little asterisk at the bottom of this proposition that said, you know, we really don't have to do any of this stuff. These are some samples of things that we might do. And once that passed, they took great liberties with that asterisk because they basically never built anything that they promised the voters. But I, I know for a while, like you said, there was just a very bad feeling. And I think even today, um, you know, even though we're in a different iteration of Rio Nuevo, people still harken back to those original days and, and see it. But you, you came on board with a, a different group um, in, what, 2010, 2011, something yeah, like that? Yeah, so the state, uh, once that headline hits the paper, the state seized the district from the city of Tucson. And the options that were discussed were, one, terminated, 
but the city had amassed about $140 million of debt that the state, therefore, would have had to pay off or replace the city and the city board with state appointees with the hope that over its next 10 years, it would at least make enough sales tax to pay off the debt. So initially, it was a default strategy just to uh, not have to bail out the city. Um, when we got involved, we saw huge opportunities to really reinvest those state dollars. And we uh, started partnering with private sector developers. So today's version of Rio Nuevo is seed money. Uh, we'll put up a small portion of an investment. We might buy the land. We might uh, lease the land. We might do a loan. We might do some sort of tax rebate. We have a bag full of incentives, but it's designed to attract a private developer. And that's designed to attract a private lender. And, and a result of that now, 10 years later, we've had 21 very successful projects that really put Tucson back on the map. The legislature was so pleased with us that two years ago, they extended our life from 2025 now until 2035. And I think the the amazing thing when you go to the Rio Nuevo website, and this is the the, the piece that I, I do think a lot of folks miss when they when they don't understand the, the complexity of it, is the leverage of the Rio Nuevo dollars. Instead of spending two hundred thirty million dollars with no results, you're spending fractions of that and and getting ten times the amount of investment from other sectors to create these projects. Yeah, the old Rio Nuevo was all about the government. It was going to be government-built, government-owned, government-operated. So 100% of those dollars were spent and wasted on projects that never launched. We've done exactly that. We've leveraged our money to attract other private sector dollars. And the private sector is going to sustain this. You know, the government will screw this up left to our own devices. So what's interesting about downtown now is almost everything down there is private sector developed. We've helped them, you know, uh, you know and we've got a lot of stuff going on uh, in the pipeline. But the only thing we own is the Tucson Convention Center. Well, and I remember the very the very first show we did back in 2017 uh, for Lifelong Streetcar was uh, Mission Garden. Kind of figure if you're going to do a story about downtown and you know start start something, you should start at Mission Garden. And I, I didn't realize that that project, which is so important to our history and our culture, probably wouldn't have happened without Rio Nuevo's involvement. Yeah, so initially the old version of Rio Nuevo built a $4.8 million wall. Uh, over there and then walked away from that project. So it was uh, probably on its last legs when I got involved. And one of the first things we did was agree to finish the project. One, because it's historically very important. But two, the district had spent so much money on it, why would you just abandon uh, the thing? So, you know, we did help them finish that. And it was a little bit controversial because our mandate is to create sales tax. And all those museums and you know parks and gardens that the original district board contemplated don't pay any sales tax. So we were criticized, frankly, in, you know, for one of our first actions being to support uh, Mission Garden. But we followed that quickly with things like hotels and restaurants and um, you know 
the Mercado Annex and, of course, then ultimately Caterpillar. You know, so once people saw that our true mandate was to create economic development, uh, they backed off us. But, you know, almost all the original plans w weren't going to contribute sales tax. They were museums or science centers or, you know, the garden. Um, there was very little effort in the beginning to create a going concern. Well, and I, I think, you know, economic development, the, you've got a foundation of history and culture that, you know, want people people want to be in that area, and that you know th those types of decisions might lead a a company like Caterpillar to want to be a part of Tucson because of that investment in history, culture, and arts. Yeah, I didn't know until we got deep involved with Caterpillar that all that land on the west side is a landfill. Yeah, a very toxic methane-producing landfill, and somehow the Rio Nuevo was going to build on that. You know, they they capped it and you know backfilled it. But the whole thing had to be remediated. And uh, when Caterpillar expressed an interest in that site, that eight acres that we remediated for them cost a million dollars an acre to get rid of the former trash. So there's still almost 40 acres over there of landfill that would cost you know 40 million bucks to make it habitable. Uh, and those are the kind of, just, you just wonder when Rio Nuevo had all that money, why didn't they remediate that landfill? Why wasn't one of their first projects to clean up all that toxic waste? They they spent a lot of money drawing plans and making movies and you know things that ultimately they intended to do, but nobody ever they never took a single step to remediate that landfill. Well, since 2012, uh, there's been quite a bit, of big improvement in, in the production, and we'll link to the Renovevo site so people can get a look at the 21 projects that are completed. And I think the transparency of the site speaks for itself with um, the listing of, of checks that have been written and who they've been written to and everything. So it's a pretty clear accounting for for the funds that you're using. We are in the middle of our interview with Fletcher McCusker. He is the chair of the Renovevo district. And in the second half, we're going to find out really what's happening during the pandemic and what the future holds. But first, I do want to remind you that you're listening to Life Along the Streetcar on Downtown Radio, 99.1 FM, and available for streaming on downtownradio.org. Well, let's get back to the second half of the interview with Fletcher McCusker of the Rio Did you get the app? District what app? Board of the Downtown Radio app. Uh, Where do you get I'm the app? Hoping today is Google to kind Play of talk and about the app the store. present and future. Then you'll have the app. You know, downtown radio about, uh, a sales then tax you'll be listening to downtown radio uh, pretty much in anywhere in, in your car which, uh, on the bus stores are while walking aren't running house, skating or floating preferably not, not swift much, we don't recommend that retail, but we do uh, recommend the downtown radio app you're not bland kind of you are unique just like downtown radio so get the app exactly so in february our sales tax revenue for the month of february last year was two million dollars our revenue last month was $500,000. So our revenue is off by 75%. And that's because all the stores and restaurants and bars that feed us, their revenue is off by 75%. So it's a really dark time, particularly for these small, locally owned and operated businesses. And of course, it's been catastrophic to the arts. Uh, the Fox is dark, the Rialto is dark, the symphony, the ballet, the arena. You know, there really isn't a reason to go downtown right now. And we've suffered through that, uh, hoping that at some point all this comes back. 
And that's really kind of where we are today uh, in survival mode. In the meantime, mostly led by outsiders, people are making huge bets on the future of Tucson post-pandemic. We've seen some $400 million um, committed to the Rio Nuevo district on projects that would be built out, say, over the next year or year and a half. And it's coming from New York and Boston and Seattle and Salt Lake City and Scottsdale. You know, uh, so, you know, people, and I think there was an article someplace that said Tucson's going to be one of the top five destinations to live, work, and play post-COVID. And that's attracted a whole new set of speculators uh, who are spending huge amounts of money to launch downtown projects. Well, we're seeing housing go up um, in large scale, and you know, a, a, a kind of the crown jewel, or well, you know, one of the crown jewels of Rio Nuevo, um, you know, may have been the getting the AC Marriott in downtown as the first hotel, and I don't know how many decades, and now we've got fifty years. Yeah, it's fifty years between hotels. And now we've got Hilton putting a couple of different locations up. There's uh, boutique hotels that are revitalizing and coming back into place. So there's a lot of attraction to get to get people down here and part of that is is driven by uh, a resurgence in what 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 uh, the convention center is likely to be that's been a huge priority for for Rio Nuevo the one project you said you own uh, and, and been investing quite a bit of money in that project yeah so uh, the attendance at the convention center in 2019 was 520,000 people it's 10 times what it was just a few years ago. And that's because of hockey and arena football and concerts are back. And, you know, we have a decent sound system now and seats that you can actually fit your butt into. And, you know, we've done a lot of work on that. The advantage about it being dark is we're investing almost $70 million in the next phase of renovation. So we're renovating the exhibition halls and the music hall. We're going to restore those stupid plazas that, you know, we're supposed to have water features in them, and they've been dry for, you know, 20 years. And, uh, you know, eventually this is going to be a beautiful complex. And we're seeing a lot of people speculate that that's going to become Tucson's Lincoln Center, that that's going to be the place where everybody in the region goes for music, for conventions, for conferences. And we're simultaneously upgrading the tech so we're going to go really high-end IT with 5G wireless and, you know, uh, increase the capacity, uh, invest in new fiber so that you can have a virtual conference. We could do a gaming competition, for example, which right now you can't do. So we're really optimistic that the TCC will become the regional, you know, go-to place, you know, uh, hopefully over like Palm Springs or Phoenix, uh, places like that because of the aesthetics and also because of the technology. Well, if you, if, if uh, someone hasn't been around the convention center recently, uh, it's quite a different picture with the uh, the Doubletree Hotel is, is pretty much completed. There's a brand new parking structure, um, which looks a little barren at the moment, but I understand it'll have nice foliage around it and, and uh, we'll probably... Oh, yeah, what we decided to do there was to let it green up. So the east side of that wall is uh, wire lattice, and we've planted vines there that in a few years that will be entirely a green belt. Well, and I think if you, the, the plaza, you know, uh, another one of those, I think, uh, hidden gems, you know, Garrett Ekbo, a renowned 
um, landscape architect designed that plaza when it when it was first put in and, and across the country work that ECBO has done has been revered and in Tucson for budgetary reasons we, we weren't able to keep it up so having that filled and having that water flowing through that area with the new hotel the revitalized convention center the um, the Flynn apartments that are that are coming up uh, it, it certainly seems like it's going to draw a lot of attention down there yeah, one of the interesting projects that just came online is the folks that built the montages, the five-star luxury hotels in California and Deer Valley and Mexico have acquired the One South Church building, the old TEP headquarters, and they're going to convert that to a five-star hotel. And a large part of their reasoning in that was the proximity to the TCC. Uh, so, and then of course, as you said, the you know the new apartments there, the Rendezvous, uh, the Flynn. You know, I think we're building 2,000 apartment units downtown as we speak. So, you you can't be anything but optimistic about a year, year and a half from here. What we've got to do is help these people get there. And you know, we were glad to see a new round of the PPP coming. Um, the Save Our Stages Act, if you and your listeners are following that, will save the Fox, will save the Rialto, uh, you know, and many other venues downtown. And, uh, you know, Rio Nuevo's doing a little stimulus to try and keep people around. The city of Tucson's helped out. So if we can just get from here. Now, we've lost three iconic restaurants, and I'm not going to be surprised to see a few more close. But... The interesting thing about that is there's been a huge demand for people to take that space. Uh, so we're seeing some really interesting uh, people that want to open up in one of those closed down restaurants. So, you know, a year from now, this is going to be a very different conversation. This is going to be right back to where we were. And I believe Tucson's the next Austin. You know, it's going to be tech driven. It's going to be youthful. It's going to be hip. And it's going to be about food and music. Well, and I, you know, when, when you start looking at the plans for downtown, um, some of the biggest projects, you know, haven't even, I mean, they're underway, you know, from a, from a planning standpoint and a, and a development standpoint, but they're not underway as far as a construction standpoint. Um, you know, the, the Batista, um, there's, there's stuff happening downtown. I think 75 Broadway is still on. Yeah, and that's, 100, that's now a $120 million project, a single project. That's, um, which one is that? That's 75 East Broadway. That's a 20-story, $120 million multi-use building. Uh, retail on the bottom, parking, office, residential. It's the kind of thing you'd see in a Seattle or a Portland. Uh, we've never seen that kind of project in Tucson. The Batista's $75 million project on the west side. The new hotel at One South, that's $50 million project. You know, uh, these hotels are about $50 million apiece. You, know, you got two of those going up literally simultaneously. So we've never seen this kind of activity, never seen this kind of scale. And what's really intriguing to me is most of this is by uh, outside developers. These are you know people who develop for a living and have never really seen Tucson as uh, a worthwhile investment. Now they made these decisions in the middle of the pandemic. But you have a lot of local, uh, at least I thought you had local developers working on these projects, like the Bautista. Most of these have been sprung by local developers. You know, uh, the, 
the Tattoos, the Schwabies, the Stylers, you know, uh, these are the people who live and work in Tucson, and they were the first investors in our downtown. Uh, the Osarans at Hotel Congress, you know, these pioneers established what we now appreciate about downtown. The, you cannot underestimate the value of the streetcar in terms of, you know, being along the streetcar line, and that's really helped attract serious money. Now, there isn't anybody in Tucson that can finance a $120 million project. So that takes New York money or Boston money or Chicago money, San Francisco money to do that. And Tucson's never been that kind of place. They would go to Scottsdale or they'd go to Denver or Dallas or Portland, San Diego. You know, but Tucson was flown over. And we're now seeing those kind of people commit huge dollars to Tucson. And the most, most all of these projects are downtown. So you got the kind of the local feel creating the impetus, but then you got the, the money coming in from all over to, to make it an actuality. And then some of these uh, big money firms are partnering with our local developers, you know, who know the, the lay of the land and the value of what they're doing and, you know, how to work uh, retail into these uh, components. So it's, you know, people shouldn't be too depressed about the future of downtown. We've got to worry about this virus. We've got to get control of this situation. We're nowhere near that uh, now. Uh, the Fox told me a few days ago they expect to be dark probably until the late fall. You know, so there's, you know, uh, I think hockey's going to play in February, but to an empty arena. You know, so, you know, until we can control COVID, you're not going to see the pedestrian traffic that all these people are betting on. But I think they're prepared to see Tucson as the next true, you know, food, music, entertainment destination in the Southwest. Definitely big things to expect as we come out of the pandemic here in Tucson, and I do think we are poised well. Well, my name is Tom Heath. You are listening to Life Along the Streetcar. We are on Downtown Radio, 99.1 FM, and available for streaming on downtownradio.org.